Welcome to Finish Well Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing your home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, I'm Meredith Curtis. Welcome to Finish Well Podcast. This is episode 203, Travel to the Netherlands with me. And today we're going to explore the golden age of the Netherlands, which includes the 80 years war, tulip mania, trading around the world, inventors, painters. It's a very exciting time and just a fascinating period of history and there are things that we have in our world today that really started with the Dutch during this time. So if you listened last week, we talked about um, the Netherlands, the things that we think of when we think of the Netherlands, the windmills and the canals and the dikes and of course their geography And just what the people are like. So that's what we talked about in part one. This is part two. And in part three, we're going to talk about the Netherlands and World War II because they really had a very unique experience in World War II that shaped them incredibly. Mm -hmm. But now we're here with part one, really excited to explore this time. So... Let me start with just reminding you, I talked about this last week, but the Dutch love freedom, and they were very independent and very hardworking, and one of the reasons they were so hardworking is because they embraced the Reformation, and when they embraced the Reformation, they were very serious about the Word of God, and they would read the Word of God, and Even passages like in Colossians, work at everything with all of your heart. They became an even more hardworking people, and they were very thrifty and honorable with their finances, and they had a heart for people and a heart for freedom, a heart for allowing people to embrace what God called them to do. So this is the kind of people they were. And, of course, we talked last week about how much time and energy the Dutch had to pour into taming the sea and holding back the sea. And this just gave them so much creativity and wisdom. And, of course, after so much interaction with the sea, they also used the sea for their livelihood. So they would get in boats and they would travel and they would trade with other nations all over the world. And you're going to be surprised at some of the nations that were, like, originally started as Dutch. You'll be really kind of surprised by that. So... There they were, this plucky little nation. But if you look at Dutch history, we're not going to be able to go into all of Dutch history. They were under this king and then under this king and then part of this empire and then part of this empire. Well, about the time we're starting to talk about this Dutch golden age is in the 1500s. And we're going to talk about the 1500s and 1600s today. And they found themselves under the rule of the Spanish Empire. And for the most part, I mean, the Dutch made a lot of money and they paid their taxes. So Spain kind of left them alone. But the newest ruler was Philip II of Spain. And if you remember Philip II, you remember 
These were the days of the Spanish Inquisition. And Philip II noticed that the Dutch were embracing the Reformation. He did not like it. So he brought the Spanish Inquisition to the Netherlands, and many Protestant Christians were put to death for heresy. So that is where we begin. We begin with, here they are, they're under Philip II of Spain, and, you know, that kind of goes against the grain for them, because for the most part, they've been very free to pursue their relationship with God, their jobs, and just quietly pay their taxes and be left alone. Well, this changed with the religious persecution And eventually, it erupted into a war for independence. And this war was led by the amazing William the Silent, and he was the Prince of Orange. And today, the rulers of the Netherlands, the king and queen, are from the House of Orange. So he was Prince of Orange. That was a little province and um, not like this big, exciting, you know, country or anything. But still, he was a royal prince. And he did not. He, of course, had embraced the revolution, the Reformation, and he loved the Lord and he loved freedom. And he did not like seeing his fellow Christians put to death. Well, this started, you know, there were little rebellions here and there. And Philip II just put them down with an iron fist. So, but then the next thing that happened was that Spain went to war against the Ottoman Empire. Remember, Ottoman Empire at this time was huge, and that was a very costly war. So, of course, Philip raised the Dutch taxes heavily to pay for all of his expenses, And this made the hardworking Dutch angry. Not only were they killing people because of their religion, but now they were taxing them to death. So city by city, the Dutch people went over to the side of William the Silent, and they began to fight against Philip II um, and the Spanish Empire. So Spanish troops just ravished the cities. But the Dutch won a lot of victories at sea. Remember, they're really good with the sea, and they're great out there in their ships. One of the things that happened during this time in 1573 is that the Spanish surrounded Leiden, the city of Leiden. And you probably heard about that because of the pilgrims, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But they refused to give up. So they surrounded this little city, and the the city of Leiden said, we will not give in, we will not give up. And even after thousands of Dutch people died from hunger, they refused to give up and let the Spanish into their city. So what happened was William the Silent had the dikes cut, and he flooded the Spanish from their position. Remember, they're the the land beneath the sea. So... By October seven, by October third, fifteen seventy four. So this is, you know, it started in fifteen seventy three. They looked over the city wall and they saw the good news: the Spanish troops were gone. And still today in Leiden, they celebrate October third as a day of independence. Now, as a reward for their bravery, because they were incredibly brave, William the Silent offered the citizens of Leiden freedom from taxation 
or they could have a university. So the Dutch being the Dutch, they didn't mind paying their taxes as long, you know, as it wasn't too much. And they chose a university. So they built Leiden University, and that's the oldest university in the Netherlands. In fact, that's where the king of the Netherlands today went to school. So, and you have probably heard of it because the pilgrim pastor, John Robertson, taught at this university, and he pastored a church in this town when his flock fled from Scrooby, England. Remember, the pilgrims went over to the Netherlands because they could find religious freedom, and I'm going to talk about that later, too. And um, many before many of them left to come to America, first they settled in the Netherlands, but then they realized, you know, there's a lot going on in the in Amsterdam. Uh, first they settled in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, but they realized there's a lot going on there. We need to go to a quieter place, and so they went to the Netherlands. And John Robertson Robinson uh, taught at the university. He also got involved um, with some of the conflicts um, between Arminius and Calvin, Calvinists at the university, where sometimes you might hear today, depending on where you're involved in your um, in your uh, church, what denomination your church is, you'll hear about Arminianism and Calvinism. And this all happened at Leiden University. So, um, but to move on with the 80 Years' War. So on July 26, 1581, the Dutch Republic, after the siege of Leiden and all these other things happening, they said, okay, that's it. Officially, we're not trying to make this work. We are now our own nation, and they called themselves the Dutch Republic. And, of course, William the Silent, the Prince of Orange, was made ruler of this new free Netherlands. Now, the war was not over, and things got really bad for the Dutch when William the Silent was assassinated in 1584. But a, a, a decade or two went by, and in 1609, now that's about five years after Jamestown was settled by the English, so if you kind of get the time period. So the Spanish and the Dutch signed a treaty, and for that 10 years, there was relative freedom. So the Dutch were prospering, and this golden age was, you know, just growing and thriving. And then the Spanish started attacking Dutch ships, shutting down the waterways, and trying to capture ports. So that peace came to an end, and the fighting continued on and on. So that was 1619. It was it wasn't until 1648 when the Spanish finally gave up and recognized the independence of the Netherlands. So that war, the Eighty Years' War, lasted from 1568 until 1648. On May 15, 1648, the Peace of Monster was official. And the Netherlands was a free and independent nation. And I have a video in the a video. URL in the show notes if you want to learn more about the 80 years war and the creation of the Netherlands you can just click on that link and watch that video on YouTube but what's very very interesting to me is 80 years this war was going on and it was 
ironically, during this time that the Netherlands moved into the Golden Age. And so even though war was going on, sometimes war just makes us partier. Sometimes war just makes us more determined to live the life God's called us to live. And that's what happened with the Dutch. So their Golden Age lasted from about 1599 to 1672. That's what they are considered the, the golden age. During that time, they became a financial powerhouse and a mighty sea power. So they were it. They were the cat's meow. They were all over the world, and yet they were fighting this war at the same time. Now, not the whole time, because the war ended in 1648, and the Dutch did not, the Golden Age did not end until about 1672. But I want to tell you now about the Golden Age, because it's so fascinating. These um, sea captains really kind of birthed the Golden Age because they were so brave, and it wasn't easy to sail in those days. I mean, you think back to the pilgrims and their adventure across the sea. It wasn't so great, you know, (laughs) and um, not only could you get sick, not only could you get scurvy from lack of vitamin C, but there were some scary pirates that would board ships and it just wasn't, you know, an easy type of thing. But these Dutch sailors and their crew sailed all over the Caribbean. They sailed um, and started a settlement in South Africa. They sailed over to um, the, in the Pacific, and they they did a lot of trade with what's now present-day Indonesia. So they studied, they invented, they traveled, they painted, they traded, and they produced goods that went all over the world. So exciting. And some of the artists that you've probably heard of were artists during the Golden Age. There was Rembrandt and other artists like him, France Howells and Johannes Vermeer. I think there was even a movie called The Girl with the the Pearl Earring. That was a famous painting by Vermeer. And people still enjoy those works today. Now, when I was in the Netherlands, and if I took you with me to the Netherlands, we would definitely go to visit Rijksmuseum. And in Rijksmuseum, you can see so many paintings. Some of them are so huge, it was shocking. But, um, by Rembrandt, Franz Howells, Johannes Vermeer, and all kinds of other Dutch artists. And so Rembrandt, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He was a Baroque artist. The time was Baroque. And if you ever watched Beauty and the, um, Beauty and the Beast, you remember that line. I always do as a homeschool mom. If it's not Baroque, don't fix it. And, um, a kind of a play on words. If it's not Baroque, Baroque, don't fix it. But Baroque art was very fancy and, you know, the the frills and stuff, but it was also very realistic. There's still that influence from the Renaissance, very realistic. But the Northern Baroque artists did a lot of painting during the Baroque time of just ordinary people and ordinary scenes of ordinary people doing ordinary things. But there were also a lot of scenes from the Bible. Rembrandt did a lot of Bible scenes like the prodigal son, the blinding of Samson, the stoning of St. Stephen, Christ in the storm, 
Belshazzar's Feast, and many, many more. But he also painted a lot of pictures of famous Dutch citizens. One of his most famous paintings is called The Night Watch. And what it is, is a painting of the mayor and a militia unit. And it's a great painting to study in the use of light and shadow. The mayor, the captain, and the lieutenant are standing in front of the men. But the light shines mostly on the captain and the lieutenant. And it makes those two men the main focal point. The focal point is the place your eyes go to first when you look at a point, a painting. And often the focal point is in the center of the painting. So anyway, if you like art appreciation, you can find all of Rembrandt's artwork online. Just Google his name and paintings by Rembrandt and they'll come up and some of them are very large and you can print them. Um, they're all public domain because, well, not all of them. I mean, but most of them, you can even go to museums and they will let you download uh, pictures of famous paintings. But anyway, I went to the Rijksmuseum and like I said, the Night Watch is really, really famous. In fact, in in Amsterdam, they have this shat, um, statue scene that is a duplication of the Night Watch. It's, it's pretty cool. But anyway, this painting is huge. When I walked into the Rijksmuseum and saw it, because I thought, I've got to see the Night Watch by Rembrandt, it was about 12 feet high and 14 feet long. Yes, it was taller than me. I'm back taller than two of me if one of me was on my shoulder so it was so amazing and that painting was moved to Amsterdam Town Hall in 1715 but it had to be cut in four pieces and then put back together it also had to be cut when it was brought to the Rijksmuseum after World War II ended so it's traveled a lot around the Netherlands but it's still at home in the Netherlands where it was first painted. So during the Golden Age, many persecuted groups also fled to the Netherlands to find religious freedom, including the Huguenots from France, the Separatists from England, who became our pilgrims, and the Jews from all over Europe. And one thing, one of the reasons I'm bringing that up while I'm talking about painting is that you can find a lot of beautiful paintings of Jewish people from these Netherlands artists or Dutch artists where you can't find a lot from other countries. And it's, it's a result of them valuing freedom because when they were persecuted for their religion by the Spanish, they just in their hearts decided we are going to allow people to worship the way they feel called by the Holy Bible to worship. And so they welcomed other people. And of course, they welcomed the Jews and always welcomed the Jews. And when we talk about World War II next week, you are going to see how they welcomed the Jews during World War II. It's such a beautiful thing, but they've always had a love for the Jews. And I really appreciate about that about the Dutch people. Um, so anyway... People are painting, and the Dutch are continuing to prosper. And one of the things 
that happened during this time is the Reformation is new. It's in the 1500s, the beginning of the 1500s, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door, and it began to spread through, um, especially Northern Europe, in the 1500s. So during this time, they became very serious about Bible study, and not only studying the Bible, but obeying Scripture. And one of these commands that was really embraced by the Dutch people is from Colossians 3, and it says, work with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not men. They also believe God's promise that from Proverbs that all hard work brings a profit. So even the wealthy men and women of the day gave themselves to hard work and creative thinking. Now, before you think, well, of course, most wealthy people work hard. Well, not really. A lot of times when you had nobility, they did oversee their land, but mostly they delegated hard work and they enjoyed the fruit of being wealthy. And so to see wealthy men and women of the day fund things and get involved and start companies and build factories, it was pretty amazing. And this all started with fishing because there's, of course, an abundance of fish up there in the North Sea. And the fish was sold to other nations in exchange for timber. Because remember, the Netherlands is pretty flat, not a ton of forests there, not a ton of no mountains, but some hills that they might call a mountain. Um, and so they would exchange fish for timber grain and furs from other nations. They also worked hard to make and grow things that would delight other nations, especially nations in the Far East. They were fascinated with Japan and Indonesia, especially, and islands in the West Indies. So as they traveled, they began, like you've heard about this when you study American history, the age of exploration, they ex they were exploring, also looking for shorter sea routes to the East Indies because, of course, they had to travel all the way around the bottom of Africa to get to the East Indies. And they even explored over in North America. They bought the island of Manhattan from the Native Americans where they established New Amsterdam. And soon they were bringing home sugar and tapestries and silk, oriental rugs and pottery. The sugar was from the Americas. The tapestries, silk, oriental rugs and pottery was from um, Japan and China and Indonesia. So by 1609, five years after the English settled in Jamestown, there was a Dutch bank and a stock exchange soon followed. So... That that was a big first. I'm going to tell you a little more about that, of course. Um, but they sailed all over the world. They explored new lands. They traded. They discovered all kinds of exotic plants and animals. And they discovered Australia and New Zealand. Now, the people who lived in Australia and New Zealand already knew it was there, but Europeans didn't know. And so they... One of the things that if you ever wonder about Zealand... What on earth is Zealand named after New Zealand, that country right next to Australia? New Zealand is named after Zealand from the Netherlands. And so um, that's pretty cool. I remember when we um, first were going to travel to the Netherlands and I pulled out a map and I saw Zealand and I thought, oh, that's interesting, just like 
New Zealand. But even then, I, I didn't realize that New Zealand had been discovered and first colonized by the, the Dutch. So hard work brought such a profit, and the the Dutch enjoyed success. They built beautiful homes along the canals they built, and I'll talk a little more about that in a bit. They hired artists to paint beautiful works of art, and they filled their homes with beautiful treasures from faraway places. So if you went into a Dutch home, <clears throat> not only did they work hard, but they opened up their homes to the cultures, other cultures, artwork and beauty. And so them loving those beautiful things helped other countries to prosper. And, of course, I talked about they also opened up their homes to people who were being persecuted from their faith, especially the Huguenots from France and the Jews from all over Europe. And I mentioned the separatists who became our pilgrims. So... I want to tell you about two companies, the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch West Indian Company. So the Dutch East India Company was founded in 1602 by Johan van Olden Barneveld. And that was founded in Af Amsterdam. And they traded with the Dutch East Indians or present-day Indonesia. The Dutch made more trips to Asia than the rest of Europe combined. But sailing could be really dangerous in those days. <clears throat> I mentioned pirates. That was that was always a threat to be attacked by a pirate ship. And um, even other countries would sometimes attack your ship and steal the treasure. <clears throat> but but one voyage could yield profits of 400%. So the Dutch were committed, we're going to keep doing this, you know. And so they invented sleeker, faster ships. And one of the ships they invented was called the Fluit. And that ship was so fast and so sleek, and it helped them to outrun the pirate ships. Now, the Dutch East India Company was the first business to issue stocks. Now, stocks are when people who don't work in the company, or even people who do work in the company, they buy a tiny part of a company. So, say I have a soup company, and I might take half of the ownership and sell it in little pieces to different wealthy friends and family members. And they would buy a stock and then all of the profits of the company would be divided between me. I own 50% and these other stockholders or investors. And so it was a way of investing to make money. You could also lose your shirt if the company went bankrupt. So the first joint stock company in the world was the Dutch East India Companies, and they let stocks be bought and sold by investors. Well, now the Dutch West India Company, as you can guess, they were going west to the Americas. So in 1621, the Dutch West India Company was founded, and they did business with Brazil, the Caribbean, and North America. <clears throat> 
They also publicly traded stocks, and their focus, of course, was on the Western Hemisphere. So in 1617, the Dutch West India Company, not the government, not the Netherlands, but this company created a settlement in present-day Albany. So Albany, New York, is the capital of New York today. But the Dutch first founded that city. They built a fort. They had a very good relationships with the Native Americans. Because they they traded with natives all over the world. So they treated them well, and in return, they had a good relationship with them. In 1624, they established New Amsterdam in present-day Manhattan, and they built a wall around the colony, and the inside street that ran beside the wall was called Wall Street. And yes, Wall Street is that exact street. And so when the news anchor says, today on Wall Street, he is talking about, of course, we have our stock exchange there, America's stock exchange there. But originally, that was the Dutch Wall Street inside their wall around New Amsterdam. So that's pretty exciting. They're really the founders of the way we do modern business. So both the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch West India Company sold stocks to private investors, and this created the first stock market where stock prices rise and fall like they do today. So um, there's a painting Um, of the stock market in Amsterdam and that we saw, and it was pretty exciting. Um, Okay, I just want to tell you before we um, leave talking about these two companies, here are just a few of the Dutch colonies in the late 15, early 1600s, okay? So if you said, okay, which colonies in the world, if you had a map of the world, which colonies were Dutch? These are the colonies that were Dutch. The Netherlands Antilles, which are now Aruba, Curaçao, and St. Martin. The um, Dutch New Guinea, it's now Indonesia in Oceania. Dutch India is now an independent country, India and Asia. New York and Albany in the New Netherlands in North America, which, of course, is now Manhattan and Albany. The Dutch Gold Coast in Africa, which is now Ghana, Africa. Dutch Formosa, which is now Taiwan. Dutch Guiana is now Suriname in South America. The Dutch Virgin Islands are now the U.S. Virgin Islands and the British Virgin Islands. The Dutch um, Bengal, which is now part of India, the country of India. Dutch Brazil, which is now independent Brazil in South America. And those are just a few. Madagascar was once a Dutch colony. Sri Lanka was once a Dutch colony. Malaysia was once a Dutch colony. And South Africa was a big Dutch colony. And, of course, South Africa is at the tip of Africa. So you can imagine that they would have a colony there because their ships had to go around the bottom of Africa to travel to the East Indies. So that is just... um, 
Arcadia. Arcadia was also Dutch, and now it is part of Canada in North America. So even today, the Netherlands is the 17th largest economy in the world. Now, that may not seem like a big deal because they used to be number one, but look at how small the Netherlands is. They don't have any of their colonies, of course, today. And now that tiny little country is the 17th largest economy. That's pretty amazing. So um, the Netherlands is the second largest exporter of food in the world. Only the U.S. exports more food. There's also an abundance of natural gas in this tiny country. And the Netherlands' biggest industries today are food processing, chemical processing, petroleum refining, technology, electrical machinery, financial services, like banking, and there's still Rotterdam is the biggest port in Europe, and a lot of countries use the port of Rotterdam, which also has refineries and storage tanks. So the Dutch are still creative and innovative, trying new things, inventing better ways of doing things, and they are still filled with great engineers just like they were back in the golden age. Now, like I said, they're much tinier, no colonies, but they hold their own economically. So going back to the golden age, I want to tell you about a few innovations in the golden age. One of the things that happened is in Amsterdam, they built three main canals. So there were three main canals and then smaller canals and hundreds of bridges connected these rings. So they were like a ring. So imagine like the rings on a tree trunk. That was Amsterdam had these rings of canals and the three big ones were built and they were just beautiful. They had not only were they built well, they drained the swampland and they built these canals and that helped to manage water for the city, to transport goods, protect the center. The canals could be used by larger boats and they're also people use them for recreation. People skated on these canals in the winter, all of the canals. Anyway, so the land between the canals was a perfect place for these gabled row houses that when you see pictures saying, come visit the Netherlands, you always see pictures of these little row houses. And most of them were built in the 1600s and 1700s are still standing today. So they were built really well. And some of the streets have been widened with the buildings at the front redone. But most of these homes along the canals are tall and narrow and deep. So uh, that's a beautiful sight throughout the Netherlands. But it started in Amsterdam with the building of these three big canals. Also during the Dutch Golden Age, the Dutch invented the compound microscope, the high-powered precision microscope, the telescope, and orange carrots. What? Orange carrots. See, this is what happened. 
Before this time, carrots were mostly purple, white, or yellow. But during the Dutch Golden Age, there was a genetic mutation in a farmer's field, and it produced orange carrots. So the Dutch were so excited because their royal house is the house of orange. And so these Golden Age farmers cultivated the orange carrot. And today, when we think of carrots, we think of orange carrots. So I want to talk now about the golden age tulips and tulip mania because um when the when the Dutch traveled all over the world they would bring back things from other places from North and South America they brought back potatoes and tomatoes and peppers and from China they bought brought back this pretty little blue and white porcelain and of course when they brought back these foods they learned how to grow them when they brought back the porcelain they know how learned how to make their own version of the porcelain and what they also brought back tulips from turkey yes tulips are from turkey not originally from the netherlands and so at the university of leiden there was a botanist there and he spent hours working with the tulips and creating um genetic versions of the tulip bulbs that would grow well in Holland in the Netherlands and so the tulips the dutch people just fell in love with the tulips they were beautiful they came in all these different colors and now there were all kinds of varieties and the it just their popularity soared and grew and soared and grew and eventually it led to tulip mania and a market bubble and crash yes this is the first market bubble and crash just like the netherlands created the first stock market they had the first market bubble and crash so first tulips were a luxury item for the rich because they were bringing them from turkey and you know they were really expensive but soon the middle class just had to have them but the price kept going up and up and up so folks started buying tulip bulbs at high prices and then they would sell them at higher prices in the 1600s at the height of tulip mania tulips sold for the same price as a mansion on the Amsterdam Grand Canal isn't that crazy people would sell their possessions to buy a tulip bulb i can't even imagine but you know that's what how bubbles happen in the economy so dutch investors kept purchasing tulips and selling them and then one day people woke up and they're like wait a minute this tulip bowl is not worth the amount of money i pay for it i could have a mansion and so then came the crash people just started selling off their bulbs and they were willing to take less and less money so the prices kept getting lower and lower and this rising bubble and crash cycle has been seen over and over so the most popular examples that we could think of would be the stock market crash of 1929 and one of the more recent examples would be the bitcoin crisis that happened last year so this was is a very interesting economic thing that happened and you can if you're interested in learning about it or or a great book for 
is a picture book, but really for all ages. It's for children, but it's it's such an easy look at tulip mania, and I explained it so well. So it's called The Great Tulip Trade, and it's by Beth Wagoner Bruce. And I have that written down in your show notes, so if you want to find the book, then you can. But I hope you've had a great time learning about the Dutch Golden Age with me. And I want to invite you to join me for a four-week unit study touring the plucky little country that once ruled the seas. And that is my book, Travel to the Netherlands Unit Study. You can find it at powerlineprod.com in our store. You can also order it at amazon.com in print. It's full color pages. And it's Travel to the Netherlands Unit Study by Meredith Curtis. So there's a link. There's a picture of the book in our show notes with a link to it. And, or you can visit powerlineprod.com and look for Travel to the Netherlands Unit Study by Meredith Curtis. So I hope you've enjoyed our trip back in time. Next week, we're going to travel to the Netherlands and we're going to really kind of go back in time to World War II and see how the Netherlands were involved in World War II and what happened to them after World War II because of it. So thank you so much for joining me. God bless you. And I can't wait to be with you next time. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.